listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. The New York Football Giants have their new head coach. Welcome into the New York Football Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Dan Duggan who has come up from his research briefly to uh, to fill us in on what he's learned about Joe Judge as he has uh, dived in fully on figuring out who exactly this guy is. Good podcast for you coming up today. We're going to talk to Dan and get all the details on this, how it went down and and what Dan thinks he can kind of bring to this organization. And Matt Chatham is going to join us as well, former Patriots player, um, host of our athletics podcast for the Patriots, The Razor here um, as well. Uh, So he'll give some insight on the Joe Judge that he knew from the Patriots organization. So some good stuff. Um, Dan, let's start here. Just the, the kind of facts about this guy. Grew up in Philadelphia, Joe Judge. He's only 38 years old, so a younger guy. Went down to Mississippi State to play his college ball. Was actually, a lot of people thought he was going to get that job this week, uh, but he's won a lot along the way. Uh, three Super Bowls in New England, 2014, 2016, 2018, and a couple of BCS titles in Bama with Nick Saban. There's an obvious connection there of how he got the job at the Patriots because Nick Saban and Bill Belichick so close over the years. Um, but I mentioned that you've been kind of diving fully into this. Can you give us more of just who Joe Judge is? Yeah, because that's a question I've had to get to the bottom of in the last you know week and a half and really in the last you know 24 hours because – I will be fully upfront when you know he got mentioned as one of the candidates they were going to interview. I had the same reaction of everyone else. Who? Like I, you know, I try to stay up to speed on the league, but I did not know the name of the Patriots special teams coordinator offhand. So, um, you know, like everyone else, you know, went to Google, went to Wikipedia, and you kind of get the uh, the the fast facts that you just ticked off there. Um, but honestly, I did not think, you know, he was a, a serious candidate. I mean, if you were going to ask me to power rank, the, you know, the seven guys who were on their list, I, I would have had him seventh. It just felt like, um, you know, the resume was a little bit thin. I mean, one thing that, that really stands out when you think about it, because, you know, he obviously killed the Giants interview. That was his first head coaching interview for an NFL job ever. I mean, usually guys kind of are on the circuit for a year or two or three and then finally break through. Or maybe one year they're really hot and they have a couple and, and they, you know, they land the, the best option. But this was it for him. I mean, it, you know, he would have probably gone to Mississippi State. Maybe we'll get into that later if, uh, if not for the Giants job. But it is not a guy who was really, um, you know, mentioned a lot, you know, in the media or you just there wasn't a lot of reason to believe that he was going to be, um, you know, a hot candidate. Um, so even, you know, everything was pointing to Matt Rule, you know, Mike McCarthy's name, you know, popped up before he took the Cowboys job. You know, you started, um, you know, thinking of all the possible scenarios, but he just wasn't high up on the list. So then obviously once the news came down, on Tuesday morning, had to do, you know, a, a quick, uh, you know, research study, just, you know, combing through the, the contacts I have and then, you know, getting in touch with another contact through a contact. So, um, you know, I've been able to, you know, put together, you know, a much deeper dive on, you know, kind of his background and I'll have a story that'll be up on The Athletic on, you know, Wednesday afternoon, probably around the time this podcast comes out that'll uh, dive into it. But just the the kind of summary, the overview um, is probably what you'd expect from a guy who learned from Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Um, I, I can't say I talked to a single person who didn't say detail-oriented within the first, you know, two words of, you know, describe him as a guy, as a coach. Um, you know, it's just really, you know, that's a common characteristic for coaches, but it seems like he even distinguished himself uh, in that regard. I was talking to Jason McCourty, who uh, joined the Patriots last year and, you know, he's a veteran cornerback, doesn't really have a big role on special teams. Um, but, you know, he still sits in on those meetings. So he, you know, he does a little bit. 
and he was talking about how there'd be a you know a kicker who had never done an onside kick in an NFL game, but Judge would dig up a clip of him doing an onside kick in college, you know, just so they'd be prepared. It was almost to the point where like he'd say it's like annoying that we're spending so much time preparing for every situation, but obviously. Um, you know, there's there's merit to that because you know you're never going to get caught off guard if, if your coach is you know doing that level of uh, of research and, and study on your opponent. So, um, you know, that was the the biggest thing that came through. Um, you know, again, he worked under these you know two you know, amazing coaches, you know, two of the best ever, and so to, to move up the ranks in their eyes, you know, says a lot. I mean, I know he was just you know like again, a lot of these coaches are you know have the same qualities as him. You know, hardworking, put in long hours, smart. But, you know, obviously he just has a little something more that, that caught Nick Saban's eye, that caught Bill Belichick's eye, that caught the Giants' eye. So, you know, as we get to know him more personally, be able to even add more color to it. Um, but that that was the biggest thing is just this is a guy who is going to leave no stone unturned in preparation. Um, and, and, again, like all coaches work long hours. It just seems like he has a knack for, you know, being productive with it and, and finding um, advantages and just, you know, and then – you know, that's the X's and O's type stuff. But then, you know, he has a presence. Um, of course, that's, you know, when you go in and have a great interview, um, you know, clearly he just impressed, you know, John Mara and, and Dave Gettleman when he, when he was sitting across from the table, you know, whatever vision he presented, which, again, we'll, we'll learn more about, you know, in the coming days and weeks. Because, um, again, he's kind of a blank slate. You know, everyone's asking me, who's his coordinator is going to be? What, what kind of system is he going to run? How could I possibly know? <laughs> you know, I mean, the guy has never been in this position um, you know, his links are basically just from New England and Alabama. So you, you start connecting dots of guys who have been in those spots, you know, who might fill roles. But I would assume he'll go off the map and probably get a few, you know, veteran guys who have been around the NFL longer, you know, for some coordinator spots. That would make sense to me. I don't think you want to have a total novice staff because um, he's obviously, you know, making a pretty big jump here. But, um, yeah, I mean, he he he's a blank slate <laughs> in a lot of ways, which I think is kind of uh, probably exciting to Giants fans. I don't think they – you know, we're looking for just like a retread hire here. I mean, I know there's some risk involved, um, but, you know, hey, there was risk involved. You know, we talked about some of the, the young coaches that they didn't hire, um, you know, the last couple of go rounds. I mean, I don't think anyone thought Sean McVay would be Sean McVay when he got hired. So um, kind of no guts, no glory type of deal. And I guess with the way this franchise has been going to to kind of go against the grain might not be the worst thing because, you know, quote unquote, playing it safe, you know, certainly hasn't worked out that well. So um you know not to the puns are going to be ridiculous with a guy with the last name judge but you know the jury is is definitely um you know very much out um but like i said it'll be interesting exciting to kind of uh, peel back the layers and get to know more and like i said that story that you know should publish on wednesday afternoon um you know should reveal uh, a lot more about him than you know what you can find on his wikipedia page yeah look forward to that one absolutely check it out on the athletic um you mentioned judge in new york and he obviously becomes the the second judge because aaron judge was already here and he took to twitter because justin tuck said the judge joe judge hire reminds me and then he tagged uh aaron judge i need number 28 speaking of championship number 28 for the yankees uh and aaron judge jumped in let's go so uh aaron judge is aware that he's not the only judge in town anymore uh i guess we'll we'll See if MetLife comes up with some sort of a cheering section for the head coach. I don't see that coming, but uh, but anyway, um, you mentioned um, the the veteran head coaches, and I don't think this fan base wanted to see Mike McCarthy or, or Jason Garrett or a guy like that take over. So I think you're right. I think that um, there's some hopefulness around Joe Judge. Um, it did come out on 
Tuesday as well, though, that the Giants had requested the chance to talk to Jason Garrett from the Cowboys, which is fascinating that they had to do that considering the, the Cowboys had fired Garrett. But would Garrett make sense as an offensive coordinator because of the experience level that he has as a head coach? Yeah, you got to think it's probably was probably pretty enjoyable for Jerry Jones to get that request. I mean, you know, your <laughs> your rival has to kind of come ask permission to talk to the guy you just fired. I mean, because again, the, that whole Dallas situation has been so bizarre, and I've been kind of wrapped up in the Giants. I don't know uh, every in and out, but apparently his contract doesn't expire until next week, and for some reason, um, they would still have to ask permission. I guess you know they haven't officially signed the severance package or whatever, but. Um, yeah, I mean, so that that was a lot of the timeline there was kind of confusing, I think, because the report came out that the Giants requested Garrett, I think, after Rule had already been named, you know, right. the, the favorite or, you know, the report he was the guy. So then people, I think, started saying, well, it must be for the OC job. But I think as we kind of, you know, shifted, sifted through the rubble, I think it was for the head coaching job. I'm pretty sure that was the case. So that was okay. sort of a backup plan. Once they, um, you know, weren't going to get Rule, they, they kind of scrambled and sent that request. Um, so I don't know. So then everyone said, well, oh, if it's the OC job, because no, people didn't want Jason Garrett. You know, Giants fans didn't want Jason Garrett as the head coach. But if you're talking about a guy with his level of experience and his background as the OC for a young head coach, that doesn't look as bad. But now I don't know that he has any interest in that job because, you know, that is um, that's the difference where I'm sure he was interested in interviewing for the head coaching job. I would assume if I'm Jason Garrett, you know, maybe you sit out a year and figure you're going to be a hot candidate, you know, do the Mike McCarthy routine, you know, rehab the image next year and, and get back and get your own head coaching job. Now, of course, you could just come be the Giants OC for a year and, and jump as well. But um, it's it's really early to know, you know, where he stands on that. But I think that was a, a big point of confusion of, you know, what were they actually requesting him for? So it seems like that was for the head coaching job. So now we step back. I don't know that um, he'd be interested in the OC job. I have no reason to think Joe Judge would be interested in hiring him. I mean, there's no you know connection there. So I would presume Joe Judge went into the interview on Monday and said, "Hey, here are my five guys I'm targeting for OC, defensive coordinator, quarterback, you know, blah blah blah." He has a list in mind, and, and again, odds are Jason Garrett's probably not on it. And, and we know a big thing during this search is that the Giants weren't going to dictate the staff, whether it was to Matt Rule or or a Joe Judge. You kind of have to let the head coach you know pick his guys. So I, I think the Jason Garrett thing is kind of like ships passing in a night. I don't think there's as much there as it might have seemed. Um, but, hey, you never know. I mean, again, I don't think he'd be the worst candidate because, again, you're talking about a first-time head coach who's going to need play callers on both sides of the ball, which, I mean, it's something we talked about, um, you know, I think, late in the season with Shermer. I'm actually I'm encouraged by the fact that they didn't just go get the guy who has the highest-scoring offense or the best defense. Like, you needed to get, like, this – CEO leader type I feel like after having Shermer having McAdoo with the heads buried in the play sheets and and really you know letting other neglecting other parts of the job because they're so focused on you know what the offense is going to do on third and eight uh, I think it's a good change to have you know Joe Judge who's going to be there and I'm sure he'll have a heavy hand in special teams and probably everything because he sounds like he's going to be a guy who's like super uh, demanding and meticulous and want things done a certain way but he's not going to be the one you know again it's third and eight this is the play we're running so I think that's um, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see who he puts together into those roles because they're going to, um, you know, have a, a major influence, you know, on how his tenure goes. So these are super important hires for anybody, but especially for a young coach who's, uh, you know, going to be learning on the job himself. Yeah, that makes total sense. And yeah, I, I read that in your article this morning as well, just about the fact that, you know, maybe the guy not calling the plays is going to be a, a great, refreshing thing for the Giants. Um, the other candidates, obviously, a lot of them had a lot more experience here and the questions um, kind of continue to, to shoot out there throughout this search of 
who will be able to deal with the fact that Dave Gettleman isn't going anywhere and he's still there. And, and at the end of the day, Dan, when you look at this hire, do you think that ended up being a factor at all, that, that Dave Gettleman's there and that if – if was there another head coach they would have preferred to go with instead of Joe Judge, but there was some conflict there with him working with Dave Gettleman as opposed to having some insight into who the GM is? Or do you think that they, you know, after talking to everybody, just flat out decided that Joe Judge was the number one candidate? Yeah, well, it's funny. I'll touch on a few different parts of your question there. As far as the Gettleman influence, the two guys who I had heard that it might become a sticking point were Josh McDaniels, and Matt Rule. <laughs> so obviously we never got to find out because it never got to that stage. Right. Um, you know, who knows if that was part of what influenced Rule's decision. I think $70 million uh, had a bigger influence on his decision. Um, but the other coaches that they interviewed, whether it was Chris Richard or Eric Bieniemy or, or Don Martindale, Mike McCarthy and Joe Judge, none of them, you know, came with you know demands as far as personnel, at least going into the process. And we'll find out over time how much, um, you know, weight Joe Judge is going to, you know, hold in that category. But, you know, again, as a first-time head coach, I don't know that he um, will come in with, with huge demands in that department. But at the same time, he's been around Bill Belichick, who has total control in New England. So maybe that's how um, he wants to, you know, run things when, when he gets his, his shot here in New York. So um, that will be interesting. But we never really got down to brass tacks on, on how much Gettleman would influence it because the two main guys who that was going to maybe be a point of contention, you know, never even got in the room with them. Um, so I, I would assume with judge, I think the power structure will remain pretty similar. Cause I mean, this gray area, I mean, obviously the head coach has say in personnel matters, but when it comes down to we're either picking this guy or picking that guy, someone, you know, is going to, you know, press the button and it's always been the GM for the giants. And I don't expect that to change. I don't think Joe judge is going to come in here and just, you know, send Dave Gettleman to the corner and say, I'm running the show. I don't know that that would have happened with McDaniels or Rule either, but maybe that would have been a condition for them because that's that was the thing I always said with Rule that I'd heard with the Panthers. The thing that appealed to him there is you know they have a new owner who's you know really trying to do things you know cutting edge and and is open to really you know just restructuring how they operate. The Browns, I mean, the Browns have been a mess, but it's you know they fired their GM, so things are kind of open there. So. Uh, if you're looking for control, those were going to be better options than the Giants where GM is in place and, you know, is, is pretty much empowered. Um, so I think that that definitely probably was part of why Carolina might have been more attractive to Matt Rule. But I just definitely think that, I mean, if someone says, I'm going to guarantee you 70 million or 62 million, whatever the number actually is, over seven years, and then your other option is to, you know, fly to New Jersey, sit down with the Giants see what they have to offer, see if you like what you hear, see if they want to hire you. Meanwhile, Josh McDaniels is going to sneak in the back door and interview with Carolina. He might get that $60 million. You know, So it, would, it was a huge risk for Matt Rule. So we'll never know how much he really desired the Giants job. It's funny, I, I said it, you know, the batting order doesn't matter that much, but obviously it does. I mean, I think I have to re, you know, reconfigure my thoughts on that because um, you know, letting him sit down with Carolina first obviously put the Giants at disadvantage. And I know there's going to be all sorts of spin that, oh, they didn't want him. I mean, he was their number one guy. Everyone's known that for a long time. Um, he wasn't number one enough that they're willing to top that offer or, or guarantee it, you know, kind of sight unseen. That, yeah, we'll match that. Come on up and, and we'll get this done. They wanted to, you know, sit through an interview and, and make sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Carolina, I mean, credit to them. I mean, I see all these people worried about like how much money they get. Who cares? Not your money. I mean, if you're right. if you're a season ticket holder, you know whatever that money's already gone. So uh, there's no salary cap on coaches. And I think one thing that's interesting, coaches' salaries are like the most high, highly guarded secret in this industry. We know every player down to the penny how much they're making. 
no one knows what any coach is making. You know, I mean, there was the thing about Gruden making 100 million over 10 years. He probably feels underpaid if, he, if Matt Rule's getting like nine a year. But um, I think Pro Football Talk put something out that you know most estimates are low, and um, you know Belichick is probably making 15 or 20 million a year. So I mean, I, I would not fret about the money. I mean, I don't. <laughs> it's not my money though, so I can understand why John Mara might not want to you know guarantee that much money to a, a first-time NFL head coach, and you're already paying Pat Shermer for three more years if things don't go well with Rule. I mean. Uh, at some point, it does start to add up, but I don't think fans should worry about it because, again, there's no salary cap. And you, you spend that much money on your coach, it doesn't affect anything else. It's just, you know, the bottom line for the business side. Um, but, again, that, that's, that's a huge sum of money for a first-time NFL head coach, but that's what you have to pay to get a guy out of Baylor because another thing we talked about was he had a, a pretty, you know, strong point of leverage. He was getting paid a boatload of money and had ultimate job security there, so he easily could have just, you know, gone back to Baylor where he seemed like he was happy. So, um you know, that's how that, that shook out where Carolina just blew him away. And, you know, the Giants, you know, weren't going to match that again without even at least sitting down and, and talking to him. So, I mean, they, they did kind of put themselves in a disadvantage by, uh, you know, not getting ahead of Carolina. And, um, you know, of course, now no no GM or no head coach is ever going to stand up at the introductory press conference like, Joe Judge was our second choice. You know what I mean? <laughs> of course, the spin is going to start. Oh, he was our guy. Once, as soon as we got out of the room with him, it was... All bets are off. But no, I mean, they were still going to meet with Matt Rule if uh, he didn't get that off from Carolina. So, um, you know, I think that their judge certainly impressed them. And um, who cares if he was the second choice, if he goes on to be successful? Um, you know, maybe people will keep an eye on Matt Rule, but he's down in Carolina. It's really not going to matter how he fares. Uh, it's all about how Judge turns out. And the kind of the Matt Rule saga becomes a footnote if, uh, if Judge, you know, is successful or if he fails. I mean, that's going to be, uh, you know, what's remembered. But, uh, you know, at this point in time, yeah, I mean, I, I I think that uh, things didn't break the way they expected, and um, and now here we are with with uh, uh, you know a young coach that uh, kind of came from off the radar, but now they 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 go ahead with him because they certainly feel confident that you know he is going to be the guy. There's been plenty of times in sports history when not getting your first choice has paid off to be the best possibility. So we'll we'll let time pay out. I mean, there's been plenty of number two picks in drafts that ended up being far better than number one picks and and all that kind of thing. Um, It is interesting the way the timing went down as far as the hire, though, because I would imagine that if Matt Rule goes to Carolina and the Giants don't hire a head coach, I'm just envisioning the back pages this morning in New York with just the fact that they didn't even interview this guy and he chose this other job and all this stuff. But by hiring Joe Judge, it kind of shifts that narrative a little bit. And I'm sure that they didn't rush to hire him just because Matt Rule had taken another job. But it does help them as far as the the spin in the media and the uh, the tabloids here in New York. So there's that. Um, As far as Matt Rule being the number one guy, though, Carolina, Dan, went to Texas and interviewed him. They, They went down, they got ahead of it, and they visited him, whereas the Giants were waiting for Rule to come to them. Now, I know he's from New York, New Jersey. This is his home, and maybe they wanted that to be part of it. Hey, you're coming home. But should the Giants have have gone further and made the trip to Texas to try to get this guy if he was their number one guy as opposed to to waiting it out? <laughs> well, I mean, it's as we found these coaching searches, like no holds barred. I mean, they could have done a sleepover like uh, Jerry Jones and Mike McCarthy, which is the most <laughs> bizarre nugget to come from all of these coaching searches. I just I can't even begin to fathom what a – a sleepover at Jerry Jones' house must be like when he's wooing a, a guy he really wants to work for him. But um, yeah, I, I mean, again, that's where it's tough to say. Like, it's just it's the order. I mean, you would you would think that 
you know, a lot of these coaches, they set three, four, five interviews and they typically go through them all. I mean, Mike McCarthy interviewed the Giants and then still left and went to the Cowboys. And, and there was a report that the Giants, you know, wanted a second interview. So, um, you know, you have to act decisively. But if, if for whatever reason, you know, he put the, the Panthers first on his dance card, I mean, there's not much you can do. I remember there was that story in NBA free agency, you know, a while back where, was it like the Clippers went to DeAndre Jordan's house and, and wouldn't let him leave or something like that? I mean, they, they really can't do stuff like that. I mean, it's if for whatever reason the, the Panthers got ahead of them, maybe it's because, again, maybe Matt Rule's agent said, listen, David Tepper is going to offer you a boatload of money. So let's get let's get that offer in hand before you see what the Giants have. Um, you know, I don't know that, that, that some of these little details will, will probably leak out over time. Some of them probably never will. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what more they initially could have done. Cause I mean, you could flip it both ways. I remember at one point it was looked at as a positive that the giants were having rule come to Jersey, but the obvious implication of that cliche, like don't let him leave the building. Like once you get him in here, let's hammer out the contract. You meet with everybody. Um, and, and then you're ready to hit the ground running. I mean, I, yes, I don't know if the location you know matters that much. I, again, I think that the, uh, the bags of money that David Tepper brought probably matter more than anything. And, and to circle back to your point on judge, I mean, definitely from a perception standpoint, like you said, the back page would have been a nightmare today if the Giants were still like, you know, in the midst of their search and, and everything like that. But I will say with Judge, he was pretty much, you know, earmarked to go to Mississippi State. You know, that's his alma mater. He interviewed there on Sunday. And, you know, from talking to people more involved in the college world, that's that was expected, you know, to be where he was going to end up. Now, he kept the Giants interview on Monday wisely and... um but if he left that Giants interview and, you know, gets into Tuesday and, you know, they're dragging their feet, nothing's stopping him from, you know, the you know, bird in hand type deal where he's just going to take the offer from Mississippi State. So I think they probably felt like they couldn't wait until, oh, well, Joe, just hang tight. We're going to go interview Josh on Wednesday. You know, like they have to sort of act with some decisiveness. I mean, these searches are so interesting because they set the course for your franchise for the next, you know, two or five or ten years potentially. And yet you have to make these decisions in a very – condensed time period with a lot of pressure and a lot of like outside influences um so you, you certainly don't want to look like you, you panicked and made a hire and i know that that perception maybe was out there with judge but i do think the mississippi state offer um factored in and, and then this whole thing is like a game musical chairs so um you, if you drag your feet too long as much as you don't want to rush the decision you could kind of be left out you know with with, with no options i mean it's funny because now cleveland they have you know the floor is theirs i mean there's no other opening so uh, they certainly can be deliberate and take their time, but um, if you really wanted, you know, one of these guys that's already gone, you know, kind of you're kind of out of luck. So, yeah, I think the Giants, you know, acted in a a decisive manner. I mean, obviously, I would I feel like you know, no one was no one knew this, but apparently Joe Judge had moved way up their pecking order. So once Rule backed out, it was like, well, that's our guy. It, we, they didn't need to you know circle back with anybody else or even meet McDaniel. So. Um, you know, I think that like anything else, you know, showing conviction, you know, can be a good sign. Um, so it just matters. Did they get the right guy? And that answer we won't know for a long time. So the, the granular details of how this all shook out um, feels like a big deal right now. But, you know, we'll see in, uh, you know, eight months when they get on the field, uh, you know, the early returns on Joe Judge. Yeah, and hopefully the Giants end up in the playoffs um, a year from now. That, that would probably be a long shot in year one, but who knows. But the playoffs are finally here, and there's only a few games left before the champ is crowned. Don't be caught saying, wait till next year like 24 other teams. Get in on the action this weekend with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boost to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deploy 
deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. And to top it all off, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering their best sign-up offer to date right now. You won't want to miss this. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus of up to $1,000. Don't forget that's code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, and for more on the hiring of Joe Judge, we wanted to get kind of a different perspective on this and kind of go back to where he comes from. So for that, we welcome in Matt Chatham, former Patriots player, of course, Super Bowl champion, also currently the host of The Razor right here at The Athletic. That's our Patriots podcast. Matt, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. Matt, I'll start here. Um, You know, I know... Bill Belichick doesn't necessarily let the media talk to his uh, coordinators and coaches very often. So there's not a lot of visibility as far as seeing Joe Judge and hearing from Joe Judge in the past. But from what you know, how is he kind of viewed in that organization? Well, I guess it's two different ways. So the the beat reporters here locally, uh, you know, for all the, the, the periodicals and websites and all those kinds of things do get to do their coaches conference each week and it's usually you know pretty informal you know just milling around but they, they certainly don't get podiums and you don't hear real expansive quotes from those guys but I would say from you know independent of the organization just sort of the beat community they tend to gravitate towards guys they like guys that are that are good to them that are really you know in just sort of brief conversations you can tell they're pretty bright dudes they know it in and out inside and out and they have sort of a little uh, charisma to them you know you can just see some leadership qualities and I think obviously Brian Flores was that kind of guy a couple of years back and uh, I think Judge has Joe has really always kind of had that same MO the, the weird part is I think when you're when you're working in media it's really easy to not look at special teams. I mean, that's that's obviously a bias that I have, where, more of an aggravation that sometimes they're glanced over. But Joe was really, really well respected by anyone who inter- interacts with him. I mean, so in, when we get to the you know the organization portion of it, it's just whenever whenever coach is willing to put a lot on your plate, that is a really strong indication of how he feels about you. And being the coordinator of of special teams is not something that I think the public is is terribly typically interested in or either aware of, but you've got just as much on your plate as an OC or DC. Uh, you got to manage maybe 25 to 30 guys. You're putting in a scheme each and every week. You're juggling between injuries and personnel stuff, what the game plan is going to be each week. A lot of times you're bartering with OC and DC about who you're going to be able to use, what their role is going to be. It's a very intense job. I think if anyone who had sort of reservations about what that kind of person who's been living that kind of life for many years would be able to offer as a head coach. I think it's a much smaller step than say if a guy went from a quarterback's coach, you know, right to the top or, or a position group kind of thing. He's coordinated and uh, he, apparent from all indications, he's been really good at it. This is maybe a bigger picture question than not specifically related to Joe Judd. And I know it's, you know, kind of in your wheelhouse. Why do you think special teams coordinators aren't the typical, you know, that's not the typical leap, uh, leaping spot to get the head coaching job. It's usually an OC or a DC who makes that jump. 
so this I'll give two views, and my first one is related to media and TV. We almost don't show special teams. I mean, <laughs> I'm from someone who I call I call games for for ESPN and do college football, and I do the preseason games for the Patriots. I would say from just a television broadcast standpoint the only way that the vast majority of audiences get the football product we we almost don't show it we don't break it down the vast majority of our, our analysts that are good uh are quarterbacks so if you want to you know flip to the punt play that just happened or you want to flip to the punt block that just happened or the kick return that just happened uh that quarterback can't break it down uh the play-by-play guy next to him generally you know just ball watches and we get like a real sub elementary sort of digestion of special teams and if that's if so i think in part it, that that lends uh, a certain opinion and perception i think to to management people just watch it on tv themselves or watch it from the stands and they get sort of a, a sense that it's lesser you know it's less it's of less important importance you know why would the why would the broadcast not spend more time on this stuff it's because they can't and i think that's kind of an aggravation you get a sense that these things are of minor importance on a play count level, it's not terribly different, and obviously, in the, the amount of yardage it covers, it's 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 very nearly the same. They're very very impactful plays. It's an important part of the game, but we don't present it that way, and I think that that really uh, affects people's opinions on it. The other part of this, and so I was I was a special teams captain for the Jets for those years that I was down there, and Mike Westhoff was uh, was my coach down there. He was you know considered one of the best in the league. I was. Actually, really lucky. Brad Seeley was mine here for the six years I was up in New England, and then I had Mike down there. And if you were to talk about one A and one B, at least at that time for for special teams coaches, uh, those are the guys, and they were the kind of people that I, I would say both of them were pretty salty uh, that they didn't get that opportunity. And, and it's mm-hmm. tough because you know if you're going and doing that interview process with an owner to another team. Uh, and, or even with the general manager in another place, and they don't emphasize it as well, they don't understand it as well, they're going to look at you like you're you know, the assistant O-line coach or something, <laughs> and that's just not the reality of it. And it's, I, I, it's that frustration, is, is, uh, it's, it's palpable. It's something that as years and years and years people have not been able to get past. They're looked at as some sort of other and unfortunately, you know, even with like Harbaugh, like Harbaugh had to go and do one year of a position group, which I think maybe make make a, a GM or owner feel a little more comfortable that the that the transition could be made. But to me, that's silly. I mean, when you're coaching special teams, you're coaching football, you generally understand it, uh, you know, at a very, very basic level. And uh, I, I think there should be no fear. Hopefully this opens a lot more doors. Let's put it that way. You mentioned Harbaugh, and he added that defensive backs coach uh, title along with special teams, I think, in that last year in Philly before he got the Baltimore job. And like that, Joe Judge got the wide receiver uh, coaching job this past season. Uh, He started as assistant special teams coach, then went to the coordinator, and then he added that wide receiver spot. Um, What is it? I just want kind of your perspective on working under Belichick and getting promoted through Belichick's staff. is that something that just naturally happens, or do you have to kind of wow the the old man to get moved up? I would say there are plenty of examples of guys that he absolutely loved in their role, but never saw them going beyond that role. You know, and I'm not I'm not going to name names here because I, in some instances, I, I may not agree, but uh, but Bill, you know, he he sees them at their absolute core in his particular view. And there are certainly guys that have been a part of his staff that have moved to a certain point and then just it was never going to go higher than that. And then they sometimes leave and go elsewhere. Uh, so I think when you find a guy that Bill, you know, as we mentioned, is willing to give a coordinator spot, which is it's huge. It's a lot of work. 
And uh, I think it's, again, it's perceptively, I think a lot of people may not understand how much they're doing in a, in a basic week. It's not much different than what Josh does. Uh, you got a lot of concerns, a lot of things on your plate. It's week to week. Uh, but when you have that kind of load, you know, the coordinator plus they're going to ask you to go take on a position group. I think as much as anything, it'll, it keeps you in that particular meeting room. But which is helpful, I think, from just a perspective point. So you're, you know, special teams breaks. You're not just running back to your offense and working on game plans for the rest of the the meeting day. You're you're now sitting in with that portion as well. So the the load, just the daily workload that Joe Judge had, uh, you know, week in week out this particular season, had to be as heavy as just about any coach in the league. When you find a guy who coordinates one entire group and then coaches a position group that's unrelated to that, that's just a shitload of work. (laughs) I think that's something that you can be. Uh, feel safe that this guy can take on a lot. But the beauty of, uh, I guess it's two ways to look at it. the beauty of, or maybe the, the uncertainty of being a head coach is that job is none of those things. And I think that's kind of interesting why we've seen a lot of these, you know, the hot new offensive coordinator that we want to hire and be our coach. And then he becomes a head coach and that's not really the job you're now doing. So I think there's a little of that time management, you know, how well do you institute sort of your, all your, your ethics and, uh, you know, do you game plan week in, week out? What buttons do you push? Those kind of things. And just how do you organize the whole sort of uh, theme and, and that you need to have week to week, especially after losses? You know, how do you how do you rally men and things like that? And that ends up being much more important than, you know, what your scheme was offensively or the plays you like or something like that. Yeah, well, the Giants have experience with, uh, the, like, the hot offensive coordinator not exactly translating, so this might be a, a welcome change. Uh, one thing I want to ask you, because you know everything, there's so much made of Belichick's coaching tree, and uh, you know I think it's overblown. But you might have a, a maybe a better perspective just because you've been inside. I mean, I think you were there when you know Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell were coordinators, and obviously you know they moved on and and didn't have you know the great success. I mean, I know Bill O'Brien has had some, but just curious, do you think there's anything to it, like, or is it just sort of you know a coincidence that the you know a lot of these assistants have branched out and and not had you know great success after leaving New England? Usually, the way I kind of uh, try to try to rationalize this, and it's not, it, I, and I would acknowledge that, yeah, there are some instances there where it's it, it's not as they'd intended. It did not go as well as they they would have liked. And uh, you know, I think Coach Mangini with my coach in New York, and then Cleveland. You know, it's two bad situations. Didn't do enough with it in and out the door, and uh, that's just kind of how the NFL works. But one thing I would sort of say uh, is. Find yourself a situation in the NFL, independent of whose tree they are. Find yourself a position in the NFL uh, where a coach, a new coach, has come in and independent of uh, a stable quarterback situation, a stable or very uh, appealing quarterback situation, and a general manager who's on the same page and an owner who spends. If you can find those three conditions where a guy then fails, then you're telling me that that guy wasn't a good coach uh, or he wasn't up for the job. Usually in all the situations that have sort of hit here with the Belichick stuff, you've got one of those three things not in order. And I think that's, again, I'd say that's independent of, of, of the guys that happen to come through Bill's system. They're ex- excellent coaches. The, the ultimate sort of, I don't know, test of whether or not you, you are successful running an organization is what's going on in the organization. I mean, I, you'll have, again, you'll have a really, really difficult time of finding some other coach that took on some new gig and didn't have sort of all the ducks in line. It, that's very difficult to overcome. I mean, Tim Tebow was, was Josh McDaniel's quarterback and he was a part of that decision. So I'm not, I'm not absolving it from it, but how do you overcome that? You know, he was not a professional, he, a professional level NFL quarterback. 
And uh, how does one get past that and continue to stay employed? Um, again, in, in the situation Rack had, I mean, I, I love Rack. I think he's one of the, the best defensive coaches in the league. People absolutely gravitate towards him. Guys love to play for him. But he wasn't in a great situation. And uh, he's just one of many people who've gone through the door at that particular place. So the unfortunate thing about NFL coaching is it's kind of your window opens, windows closes. And the guys that continue to go on, I mean, look, Mike Tomlin has had, had Ben Roethlisberger for all these years. Would we feel differently about Mike Tomlin if he hadn't had that in, in, a, in a, an incredibly stable organization above him uh, that had a kind of ethos that, that works? Most of these situations where guys go on, the conditions are right around them as well. Yeah, and Bill O'Brien, obviously a pretty good spot down there in Houston right now with Deshaun Watson on offense, yep. J.J. Watson on defense and all of that. Uh, Matt, you took to Twitter on Tuesday to kind of fight back on fans needing a recognizable name, basically. I won't read the whole tweet, but you finished it with yeah. people get excited about names they've heard, bios they like, hate people they don't know, and then you finished it with it'd be the Norv Turner Trophy if that's how football worked. I just wanted your your take here on the podcast on that, just kind of right. nailing that point home for, for Giants fans who – while I think they're probably more excited about Joe Judge than they would have been for, for Mike McCarthy, I still yeah. think there's there's some doubt there. Yeah, and it's not as if the doubt's not reasonable. I mean, shoot, I'm not endorsing that, hey, Judge is going to knock it out of the park and he's perfect and thank God he got it. I would just say anger uh, by virtue of not knowing the person isn't terribly founded. And, and excitement because you do know the name may be completely worthless. I mean, how many years of Chip Kelly stuff that we go through where – how excited were Niners fans that they were going to get that and everything was going to be transitioned because I know his name and often success and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so I think there are a number of examples where, you know, people – coaching is is a very, very different kind of job than coordinating or, you know, coordinating – I'm sorry, being head coach is very, very different than running an offense. You know, running an offense, putting up a bunch of points is not running an organization. That's – it's a different gig. So it's very – I guess at this point it, it just depends – individually how how good you feel about the judgment of your of your ownership <laughs> how well they judge this and i think the vouch from coach belichick will go a long ways uh, that helps sort of lubricate that situation to get joe down there uh and then we'll see what he does with the opportunity but i, I would just i guess my thought is i can totally understand being a, being a fan and wanting to have that name you know and have a connection to why you think it'll work but that stuff burns out in a matter of months. <laughs> that stuff is dead by the time you get into the preseason. At that point, you just kind of want to find out, are they disciplined? Do they stick to the same message? Can you see sort of a, 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 a sanity behind the science, sort of what they're putting together? Like Brian Flores, I think, is a great example where – People may have thought down there in Miami that what the hell this guy has only coordinated for one year, uh, you know his his resume relative to leading full groups is relatively thin, and uh, a matter of months into it, it's like man, this is this guy's an incredible leader. Like uh, he's there, and they're stripping this around him, and yet they're still being competitive, and he just seems to have the right message. So those things are so much more important, and I'm sure you know obviously general managers and owners around the league whiff on this stuff regularly <laughs> but so your what i guess your your faith and whether or not this is the right one is your belief in the mars judgment you know because they they whiffed on the last couple is this a corrective move are they going for something that addresses more of those things that are more important the cracks rather than the offensive system you're buying or whatever awesome stuff matt thanks so much for coming on great to get the perspective from where joe judge comes from so thanks for taking some time all right guys take care Enjoy the offseason. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Matt.
It is the hot stove season as far as baseball goes, but that doesn't mean that our podcast here have gone away on The Athletic. Check out Starkville this week. It's back after a little break for the holidays. Jason Stark and Doug Glanville, they go uh, and talk about the big story on The Athletic this week. Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellis breaking more cheating in baseball with the Boston Red Sox. And of course, you also get some of that great Jason Stark trivia. So check out Starkville right here on the Athletic Podcast Network. That's going to do it for us. Follow Dan for the latest on the, obviously, Joe Judge as the information continues to come out. He's on Twitter at dduggan21. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. Thanks to Marissa Morris, as always, doing a great job with the producing. And we will talk to you again down the road. Um, Probably a week or two from now, we will catch up again um, on the latest here with the Giants, maybe reacting to, uh, to Joe Judge's introduction and all of that stuff. So we'll talk to you again soon. 